just in my head sorry so quote of the week come on give it to me are you seriously texting right now no i'm trying to find my quote <laughs> get on imdb okay, right let's start again oh my god we're back again <laughs> okay our film this week is not based on the backstreet boys i'm not entirely more sure. the pity so this week's quote damn how many sisters has he got i don't know oh oh my god yes <laughs> The plays, the plays. I had something to say about that, you know. Okay. <laughs> so we're watching Coach Carter, the renowned. One of those classic, inspiring coach stories we haven't actually done yet. And we felt we had to do one because so often in the films that we've watched, Matilda, Cares, Bad Teacher, The Faculty, they're always the villain. They're always like the mean, horrible teacher. We so- haven't done an inspiring no. sports teacher. We haven't. We haven't. And it's a very important subgenre of the films we're looking at. Not my subgenre of choice. I did find myself zoning out of all the basketball scenes, which I, I read it apparently were very, very accurate. So I'm glad that they got the ball bouncing correct. <laughs> not, not for me. Not for me. Although, do you know what this man also directed? I feel we talk about so often. Sister Act? Nope. In your dreams, it's not as hard as it may seem. You gotta work to get the green. You're gonna spill your tea. <laughs> Say the last dance. Oh, right. Same director. Sure, you are actually going to stay. He's just like bouncing all over the place. So did you know this? This is an actual teacher? Yeah, no, I Um, I looked it up and read about Coach Carter. Yeah. um, And those things that they say about each individual character at the end of the film, Mm -hmm. they're real people. Yeah, so apparently he was like really involved production. He was on set every day. Sam Jackson apparently is massively into basketball. So he was really impressed by him. And you can feel can that. Can I just say, you just called him Sam Jackson. Was that too familiar? Of, those of you who are unfamiliar with who Sam Jackson might be, it's Samuel L. Jackson. I do apologise. You know, to me, the rest of us. <laughs> let me put some respect on Samuel L. Jackson's name. I do apologise. That was overly familiar with me. Yeah, so you can feel the film has a lot of reverence for him, which I think maybe is why I didn't really enjoy it. Because it, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily that interesting to watch a film where you're just supposed to like worship the main character it's like a hagiography like especially when it's a real person i just i feel like he was he had no real flaws you know he's presented as a saint wow i think we've got another dangerous minds on our hands <laughs> i thought his approach and his attitude and his tenacity is everything that we need in education no absolutely you have to admire especially the fact that he really did achieve this so what he basically became famous for was his basketball team as in the film had never ever lost a game they were really successful however they were doing really poorly in their academic subjects so he suspended the team did not let them play locked the gym until they got their grade point average up which we were literally just having a conversation most for recording where i was like um what is a gpa shane and shane you said to that it's uh, some kind of average point no, system. No, what you said was, I should probably know, given that I worked in an American school. I have no idea. <laughs> Can I point this out that it was for one year and I taught year 12 science and they have a school counsellor who deals with all of their GPAs, which I believe it's actually similar to an American school where the teachers don't necessarily 
consume themselves with GPAs? Well, I, I just educated myself, which I'm glad I did because I feel like this always come, used to come up in teen shows I'd watch where like they talk about their GPA and I just wouldn't understand it. So this is what GPA is. It is rated zero to four. Generally speaking, it can change from school to school. If you are on a 1.0 grade point average, that's basically a D. A 2.0 is a C. A 3.0 is a B. And a 4.0 is an A average. So his expectation is that they have to sign a contract that they get a 2.3 GPA, meaning across all their subjects, they must be getting at least AC in all of their subjects because that's how it works. They add up all their subject marks, they divide it by the amount of subjects, that's their GPA. So actually, all he's asking to get is like a C plus. Like, it's not that hard. The, the parents act like he's asking the impossible. Most students can achieve a C if they put the work into a subject. Spot the teacher who hasn't taught year 11 yet. <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think what he's asking for is actually quite reasonable. It's not impossible. It's reasonable if you look at the kind of students you are expecting a C grade from, the kind of students he's getting are students who aren't even going to lessons, let alone, you know, achieving a C grade. Mm. Yeah, I liked this film. I, but you, you just told me you didn't like this film. Why? <laughs> I think I'm, we have slightly different tastes. I don't like earnest, mawkish, overly sentimental films. I don't like sports films in general. Um, I kind of check out of them. So it's just, it wasn't personally for me, but I put you through more than enough films that you didn't enjoy. So this is fine. <laughs> I think it's interesting to watch this film as a teacher because it does force you to reflect a little bit on what he does and how he deals with it. Because essentially what you have here is someone dealing, as we've seen quite often now, with a disruptive class of kids. And I guess this is different in a sense. Often in films, they'll depict the naughty classes as like the failing classes. But I don't know if you've ever seen, and I have seen this, really high performing classes that are disruptive and naughty so often setting i think sometimes i've seen really awfully behaved top sets because they have this sense of kind of arrogance that like mm -hmm. they're the top set they don't need the teacher they can coast through or whatever else and that's kind of how this class are in that they are they're essentially part of the american system in which athletes are like streamed completely differently to everyone else so they know that you know they are small town heroes all they've got to do is play well in basketball. No one gives a shit about how they're doing anything else. They know they'll be able to probably get scholarships from that or go into the you know the NBA or whatever if they're lucky. And so they are very arrogant and they're also performing at a really high level at their sport. So they don't really feel like they even need a coach, mm. right? So he's got to go up against like the fact that they basically think that he has no no purpose to them really or not no purpose but they have to follow him or sorry he has to follow them rather than vice versa. So he very much establishes his authority from the beginning. He uh, does an interesting thing of dealing with rudeness by being rude, which I used to do all the time. If someone was rude to me, a kid was rude to me, I would be rude back to them. Um, and I used to see that as teaching them that like rudeness begets rudeness. But actually, I've much I've realized after several confrontations that you really have to take the high road and not respond to rudeness in kind. You have to model actually like decency even then. Well, is he rude to them? Because I wrote down that they insult his bald head. Is he rude back? Would you say? Um, I don't think he's rude back. I and mean, if, if anything. He calls one of them sir and yes. the kid says, but I ain't no sir. Mm. And he then gives them the speech about how they are sirs. And once they get used to the idea that they are sirs, they will behave like sirs. Yeah, you're right. I, I misspoke then. He actually doesn't deal with Brunus with Brunus. He actually does deal with it with insisting on courtesy, doesn't he? And I think, um, I think one of the boys used the N-word. I have said very similarly when I've spotted kids calling each other like um, bitches and, and whatnot, you facilitate other people calling you that if you are 
quite freely using that language. Um, and he, he explains that to the boys, doesn't he? He says, you know, you by using the N-word to describe each other or to, to address each other, you're facilitating it being used um, from other people. It comes from a bad place. I, I think he's a really interesting character in that he kind of embodies a, a really strong strain of like african-american conservatism that you don't really see depicted in popular culture very much and he's very much in that conservative tradition of respectability politics he expects them to turn up in ties he expects them to sit at the front of the class he expects them not to use the m-word he expects them to behave like like actual adults the mm. thing is they they've got very low aspirations they yes. are a deprived black community and coach carter comes from the same school He's made a life for himself. He's got a business where there's discussions of opening more shops. Mm -hmm. He's obviously very successful at basketball. So whilst the whilst key themes potentially are around the sporting side of things, there, there's a lot of undertones about, you know, pulling yourself out from situations that you've been been put in by through circumstance. And he, he represents something that the boys don't seem to be aspiring to. And he's been put there to be that aspiration. Even though the head teacher doesn't seem to really care about this whole idea. She just wants them to win games. She She's not really bought into his ethos, really, has she? No. And I, I think what you just said about incoming community, community really demonstrates the importance of that. I do think it's really important in schools like that to have teachers who are also from that area community understand it have lived through it and therefore can provide a much more meaningful role model yeah. and this is the problem with stuff like teach first which is that it pilots middle class people into these areas as if they're somehow going to save the day yeah exactly exactly it's a very Sean did teach first i did teach first and it was an <laughs> issue i had it i mean i insisted on having a school in where i lived even um, though he had a grammar school education. Oh yeah, this is the problem. I'm kind of a cuckoo in the nest, aren't I, of my working class family? Because I had a middle class education, so I am essentially a middle class person. So I am part of the Teach First problem in that sense, in that I did fail in many ways to connect meaningfully with the kids for quite some time. Whereas I would see younger teachers who are more from those kind of areas who'd been to those kind of schools and they would connect much easier with the kids it makes things a lot easier and the kids connect more meaningfully with them as well i think mm. it's i don't think every teacher has to necessarily be that but those teachers need to be there it is important yeah. but in the one sense he does represent that but in another sense he doesn't because he's very anti-youth culture in a way he's very stuffy as the film progressed much as i really admired him i found him a little bit a little bit draining sometimes. He doesn't have See, fun. I, didn't, I, I, I really bought into the whole, you've got to stop treating them like children and start treating them like adults and bring them to the reality that will be their lives in a couple of years' time. And they're closer to being adults and having to deal with adult situations. You see one girl who's pregnant and the boyfriend doesn't really want to engage in fatherhood but he's close to it he's a lot closer to it than if he was to be treated like a child at high school and so i i actually appreciated the way that he was treating them yeah i think it's very refreshing to see like you said he has a very high expectations in the context and he makes it very explicit he knows these kids are almost being used by the school aren't they there's it's a very short-term goal they have for them the basketball is a very popular part of the school's culture they just grow them to be good at this one thing and they don't really expect them to go to college they don't have any aspirations for them beyond being good at basketball mm -hmm. and he knows that that is a short-term thing because he's lived through that and he himself now you know is a coach in that area so he knows that it's short-term and so he insists on them getting good grades because he 
he wants them to go to university. It's interesting to watch this film now. We can see that we've moved past this cultural moment of the idea that going to college is the be-all and end-all and will solve all your problems. Because I think the college system in America particularly is so obviously a racket at this point. It's kind of assumed that because they all get to go to college and study a subject, their lives are made. Whereas the middle class in America, I think, has been so eroded now that that seems so innocent and naive to me now in like 2021 or whatever. Like the idea that they'll get a college education and therefore they'll be set. Or the idea that that's the be-all and end-all of education. There's lots of things you could pick apart there. But ultimately, you have to admire the fact that he refuses to participate in the overwhelming culture of the school and is willing to make himself unpopular because he thinks it will serve those kids better. And you have to admire that. Should talk about his contracts. Have you ever done a classroom contract? I did try this once with a class where at the beginning of the term, it was an idea that I'd seen maybe in Teach Like a Champion or something like that or some Teach Firsty thing. You get them to tell you what they think the rules of the classroom should be. And then I had that displayed in the classroom. And I have to say... Maybe I wasn't using it very well. I think it was kind of pointless. Now I much prefer to just go straight into lessons and establish my expectations through the lessons. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't go to the efforts that he did. There were several points on his contracts and he you know, got them printed, got them signed. So let's say, what does he what does he expect them to do in these contracts? What's in there? So the GPA is a big one. Yes. Attending all classes, sitting at the front of classes. Why do I have to sit at the front? I think that's such an interesting stipulation. I think think there's a lot of stigma attached to kids who sit at the back of the class, not necessarily engaging. And actually, when you think about seating plans, who are the kids that you would sit at the front? The kids who are disruptive. Always. That's true. That is very true. There you go. So he's already designing the seating plans. Yeah, but I guess you can see, we get a little hint of the other teachers being a bit pissed off with him. If you think about that... Yeah, but why are they pissed off? They're pissed off because they've been asked to generate reports for him, which is actually adding to their workload. Mm -hmm. So it's not the idea that he's supporting kids going to their lessons. Mm. It's the idea that actually now it's not it's not good enough that they're turning up the lessons. They want them... He wants them to report back to him that they are... Attending and performing. And How did you feel about them being annoyed about him for that? I completely got it. I, I, I saw where that was coming from. It's It's been something, you know, teacher workload has always been at the, the top of concerns about teacher well-being. By putting on something that for them seeming to be fruitless... Yeah, and I've seen these kind of initiatives, I'm sure you have many times as well, of we're all going to do these reports and we've all got to do this thing and it usually does create just a mass of paperwork that goes nowhere. Actually, this reminds me of a time where (laughs) I was very young in the teaching profession and as form tutors, we were given autonomy to be able to put our students in our form group on report. People would send you know, me messages saying that they're so hard to manage in lessons and... um, so I put them all on report, all 25 of them. And I was not popular because obviously to fill in their report cards, a teacher would actually have to finish the lesson at least 15 minutes early. You are Coach Carter, <laughs> mate. That is such an effort. And actually, actually, you know what? It didn't take long for somebody to get back to me and say, this is not sustainable. And I can speak about this openly now. But at the time, I was mortified that I'd done something that potentially other people would have been really annoyed and angry about. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because Coach Carter does not seem to have that sense of mortification. He's very single-minded. And I do admire in one sense that's that sense of self-possession that he's just like, this is how it's going to be. This is my expectation. Uh, he's not backing down for parents, for kids, for head teachers, for nobody. This is how it's going to go. His failure here, I think, is that 
he imposes on other teachers when they don't fill in the reports he kind of judges them for it and sort of gets annoyed with them and goes to their teacher and stuff rather than having a conversation with them explaining why he's doing it getting the buy-in seeing if they have other ideas that could work better he just assumes that his idea is the best idea right I, I, I think that's a, a missed opportunity in the film I guess in that it's presented as I think that the teacher who complains about him when they have that hearing later and says you know I think it's ridiculous he's asking us to do this that's presented as the same as having low expectations for the kids when it's not it is unreasonable to expect them to have to do all of this extra yeah. stuff for no additional value to themselves really and he hasn't even explained why he thinks it's necessary yeah i mean there, there's something to be said about the teachers who aren't chasing up the kids not turning up to lessons they it, it's presented like they don't turn up to my lesson and to be honest i couldn't care less that they're not turning up to my lesson whereas i know for a fact that if i'm not seeing a student regularly i will chase it up with a head of year and say is there a reason why I'm not seeing the student? Yeah, and it, it's very clear that, that everything's very lax there, that they just don't, like you said, they're just not really that bothered. You're absolutely right. And so he's he's fighting against a whole school culture, isn't he? And trying to create some greater sense of engagement. But it's interesting in that you would think the best way to do that would be to get the kids to like you. And yeah, it almost seemed like at the beginning of the film, he's determined to make them hate him. Like, he's so horrible to them. He's always making them do bloody suicides and push-ups and is very uncompromising, punishes them for every little thing, like, really stamps his authority into them, which I guess is necessary in this context because they are so willful and so arrogant, I guess. Do you? Is that how you would play this situation? Because you seem like you'd be quite nice at first and then, no, is that not how it works for you? No, I'm completely the opposite. I'm super, super strict at the beginning. And only really relax when I know that they know what my expectations are and that there are certain things that I will not be relaxed on. So no, I am not. A... So you were watching this like, this is how it should be done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I said, I'd really like this film. Yeah. Um, no, I think he, he does a lot of stuff in it that that is, I would say, good practice. Like it was quite refreshing because we've watched quite a few films now with bad teachers to watch something where you think, okay, yeah, this, I guess maybe because it was based so closely on his own experiences and he was there every day. Another thing that he does that I really liked is after their game, even though they've won it, he insists on them reviewing it afterwards, reviewing the plays. They plan based on their little failures. So he insists on that reflection time to try and always sharpen and make better. What did you think about... He gives them a real lecture on gloating in victory. So they win another game and they're really, really happy. And they've been a little bit obnoxious. I understand what he was saying. You should be magnanimous in victory as well as defeat. But I do think he was being... A little bit of a killjoy. He was being a, a killjoy, but I think there was a lesson learnt there about being respectful. And I think a key theme throughout the whole film is being respectful. Be respectful to those around you. Be respectful to yourself. And I actually appreciated it. I guess you saw it as being a killjoy, but... Uh, I get I, what he was saying. To me, I saw that as just like youthful exuberance. They were just really happy and excited that they won. I don't think they were necessarily being particularly rude to the opposing team. I didn't understand what he was saying, but this is where he said that, like you said, he has another lecture with them about the N-word again, doesn't he? And says that he thinks that gives other people permission to use it. But I think it ties into, I think he seems to be very like anti-hip-hop culture, anti-rap culture. There's that part later when they're at the party... And they're, again, celebrating their victory and he's disgusted with them and he calls them ghetto hoop stars, humping the honeys. And again, I understand the overall point, which is that he wants to build their character. He wants them to have like integrity, self-respect. But it does come across like 
he expects them to think, behave and act exactly as how he what he sees as respectable. You know, I think it's expected that teams do that. But what Coach Carter wants them to be like is to be this respectful team who don't indulge or overindulge in celebrations and are a lot more humble. So do you think then if they had won, because they they don't win, spoiler, they don't win the last the last one. If they had won, do you think he would then be like, do you know what? You've done it. You can now go and celebrate how you wish. Yes. I you really do think so? I, I genuinely believe that he would have allowed that. I mean, you kind of see that in the locker room at the end anyways. He he gives them that pep talk of, yeah, you might have lost this game. And they even say to him, we may have lost this game, but at the end of the day, look at where we are in comparison to where we were before you came to us, right? Yeah, and I like that they ended it with them in defeat. I think that was a smart ending. But I don't know. I think the way that he... I don't he... think that was a smart ending. I think that's what happened in reality. I think that's the truth. Oh, okay. I forgot that this is based on my life. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I like that they, they stuck with the Well, that. I guess the point being they could have, for the sake of the film, you know, had them win or whatever. But the way that he gets angry at them at that party, it's not... I don't get the impression that it's that they're celebrating too early. I don't think he likes the way they're celebrating yeah. because it's similar to the M word thing where it's as if he... He wants gentlemen. He doesn't want... He does, but what he's... And I, and I get it and I understand it, but I think where I would slightly take issue with it is it's like he expects them to behave as if they're always being watched. To which my question would be watched by whom? It's like, you shouldn't behave like this because you're going to come across as a stereotypical black young man who, you know, is doing this to girls and whatever else. It's like you have to perform what is our expectation of like respectable manhood so that people don't think badly of black people is essentially what I feel like he is continually He's imparting trying to, to them. change culture. And you've got to ask yourself the question, at which point do you change culture radically so that, you know, a, a difference is made to the future? And he's doing it all with this one team. And you've got to appreciate that. He's gone in wholesale. He's, he's not doing it a little bit at a time. Mm. He wants the whole package and he wants them to be gentlemen and he wants society to perceive them as gentlemen, not another group of young black boys who have not got an education. He, he really, really hones in the fact that in the school itself, only 50% of them will graduate mm. high school, not even go on to university, mm. not even going to college just graduate in high school itself. Yeah. And of those 50%, most of them will be girls. It won't even be with the boys. Yeah, 100%. So he really, yeah. really pushes them to to value education, value, you know, changing the narrative. And the only way to do it is to lock up the gym and, and you know, send them to the library. No, I think all of that stuff, his high expectations, his refusal to accept the low expectations, you know, when the head teacher, Miss Garrison, I think her name is, says, well, you can't lock up the gym because this ultimately will be the highlight of their lives, you know, indicating how little she expects of their lives outside of school is awful. And it is great that he is there and he was there in real life to help them aspire to more and think about something other than that. But I think it's interesting that the film presents that, the high expectation, and the kind of slightly old-fashioned attitude towards youth culture and the sort of policing of the way that they dress, they speak, they behave as the same thing. Yeah, but I I agree with, if you want to change youth culture, Mm. if you want, you know, young people to take their futures more seriously, if Mm -hmm. you 
at what point do you stop saying, oh, it's okay to let your hair down once in a while or all the time or because it's a celebration? Or No, but I think I actually think the way you explained it to me, which is that he doesn't want them to celebrate until the end, is actually a good life lesson is yeah. don't celebrate too early. Don't become smug. Don't become complacent. That is a good life lesson to impart. But I think if we follow through the logic of what he's saying, especially when it's tied into the whole N-word conversation, the implication is that if he can mold these young men to be what society deems respectable, then ultimately that will somehow eradicate racism because you'll have this generation of young black men who will be viewed as respectable in the eyes of the white majority is implicitly what he's saying, right? When I think that is actually not the case. Racism is much more deeply embedded in that. If your way of solving the problems of racism are you encourage all young people to not listen to rap music, not use the N-word, not live up to the supposed stereotypes or whatever, racism's still going to be around. The stereotypes will just change. Do you know what I mean? I think it's slightly naive. Not naive, that's not the right word. I think it's misguided because it puts the onus of changing the culture on the young people that is punishing them for who they are. I th- yeah, I see where you're going with this now. I think it's the only aspect of the film that I didn't really like because the high expectations are great. The life lesson of conducting yourself in a respectable way is a useful life lesson to impart. But the respect that he's trying to imply that they need to conform to is the respectable white man. When a lot of people used to emigrate to the UK, Mm -hmm. um, it was very typical. And I can probably hear all of my fellow... Asian followers who would have had parents who would come over, grandparents who would have come over, very typically when they would have got on the plane and they would have come down, they would have been wearing a suit, would have been carrying a briefcase. It's always been considered that a respectable man dresses that way in every culture. Yeah, and if you look at, you know, Jamaican immigrants, the same thing, you know, you'd come... set that standard? The British. And I think this is the thing. Did them wearing a suit mean they didn't experience racism? Did it mean they didn't get to help, they didn't get shoved into the shittier areas of the cities? Did them wearing the suit mean that they were any more or less respectable than they were when they weren't wearing the suit? Exactly. This is why I think the film really encapsulates the conservative logic in general. It's a really good film to watch as an insight into how conservatives think because that is genuinely what coach carter believes if they sit at the front and they behave themselves and they wear a tie then society will respect them when society should respect them anyway why isn't society giving them respect anyway yes that doesn't mean they can conduct themselves how they want you know he still wants them to learn life lessons and be mature respectable people mm-hmm. but i think that's the issue of the film that I, that's where i did take issue with what he was saying and doing because it it presumes that if you conduct yourself that way then you've earned respect from others don't they deserve respect anyway yeah that that was the element of it that i did particular like and i guess it's complicated because i'm saying that as a white person who was given that respect anyway i didn't have to deal with racial stereotypes whereas coach carter is a man a black man in america who's made a success for himself according to the, that philosophy do you know what i mean so who am i to poo poo that i guess but essentially what you see is that the, the, the boys are involved in gang culture and you see yes crews experiencing a shooting where i think it's his brother who he witnesses getting shot And from there, he is desperate not to have that life, right? So even though he's quit the team, he comes back and he shows that he's willing to participate and to change his life and to adhere to the visions that Coach Carter's presented. Yeah, that's why I think he is so opposed to rap culture because at the time rap culture and street culture were much more intimately connected than they are now, right? Rap culture now is just pop culture, I guess. So he's really disappointed with them for 
not passing their subjects. And he didn't know this until quite late into the film because their teachers weren't sharing the information. And he actually padlocks the gym and he gets so much shit for this. He gets spat at in the street from the parents. He has like essentially mobs like following him, furious shouting at him. He gets his um, shop window smashed in. Yeah, he gets his window smashed. Like it's so interesting to me to see how some places in America, and I do think it's a very American thing, the whole life of a community revolves around a sports team and a high school sports team at that. Like, can you imagine the ego trip of being like a 17-year-old boy and your whole town like worships you because you're good at basketball? Like, no wonder they're little shits. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm. I'm so glad that I did not grow up in a community like that because it sounds stifling. Mm. So when he, it's not even just that, he's punishing this successful team. It's that the the town doesn't have their social life, which is going to the basketball games. Like that's why they're all part in part so angry about it. Um, and yet I have to admire his grit. Like he just doesn't, he doesn't back down. He refuses. Yeah, it must be, it must have been a very, very difficult situation. So we see this whole board meeting where another you know, teacher snakes him out, says he was offended by his request to provide reports. Parents saying they want him gone. He ultimately, they decide to get rid of him. He says, I, just so you know, if you're getting rid of my contracts, I'm quitting. I'm not going to be the coach. He still doesn't back down. They still vote for him to quit. And do you think you'd have held fast to your principles in that situation? Because I would like to think I would. But honestly, I don't know if I'd be strong enough to survive this onslaught. I think I'd just be like, do you know what? I just want a quiet life. Like, I don't know if I actually would. No, I, I think I would have been very similar. So what they're voting on is to open up the gym. He then says quite boldly that if you decide, if the board members vote to open up the gym, then I will hand in my resignation. And you see that the boys don't want him to. The boys actually want to continue. I think the thing that worries them is that they're not convinced by the time scale because mm. they really do want to play in, in the next game. Mm -hmm. in the I think it's the final game, right? Mm -hmm. So Yeah, so that's another thing we didn't mention. He actually for, deliberately yeah. forfeits rather yeah. than let them play with the poor great point average. Exactly. So, so for them, they're in support of him but they're not convinced by the time frame and the fact that they can do it. They don't have enough self-belief in themselves to be able to do it in that short time frame. And that's where I think he is making a very clear statement that he believes in them to make these changes, to be able to push themselves. They just need to push themselves harder. Mm. They've shown it physically with all the suicides, all the push-ups and the fact that they've come together as a team. I love that moment where they said, I'll do some push-ups for him. I'll do some suicides for him. Yes. Because actually, you know, he's instilled in them. And I think it's um, Channing Tatum's character, Lau, Jason Lau. He says, um, he says, you know, we triumph together. And it's just that beautiful moment where as a teacher, your key messages, even though you haven't said it out aloud to them, they're getting it. So at that moment at, at the, at the um, trial, it looked like a trial, but it was mm. a board meeting. Um, and, they were voting. And I did ask myself that question. Would I vote against him? Would I vote with the masses and get the mm. get the gym open? Or would I... I'd already bought into what he was trying to do. Yeah. So I would vote for him. And oh, even, I would vote for him too. I think it was the head teacher, wasn't it? Mm. She, she clearly needed a lot of convincing with what he was doing. Mm. But she didn't vote against him. She actually voted in support of it. Yeah, he's very explicit about what he's doing, which is that he's seen the bigger picture of their lives and that he he wants to grow not just athletes, but like 
people with an actual future. He's not settling for mediocrity. Yeah. And so therefore he is pushing them beyond what they believe is their capabilities. Yeah, he's a big picture thinker. He's a classic person who should be in leadership because he's a, he's a philosopher as much as a teacher. So um, I did ask the question on Twitter and shout out to Asbo Teacher. He tweeted that the British education system of the noughties traded in their coach carters for Timmy Mallets. Um, and, <laughs> Timmy Mallets? Yeah. And <laughs> so I asked the question, how would we, how could we benefit from being more like Ken Carter? To which Sam said, um, the courage and integrity, lock the gym when the kids need to study, ignore the school board that tries to shut you down and stop begging it. Yes, even if there's an Ofsted. So this idea that everything that we do is to please a board and to get an Ofsted outstanding is actually at the detriment of our own students. And I guess ultimately it comes down to what he is interested in is serving the the students, serving his team. He's not interested in making his uh, colleagues comfortable. He's not interested in kowtowing to the authority of the board. He is there for those kids and those kids alone. And that is a fantastic place to base your teaching, I would say. I think if you think of teaching in that way, that it's a kind of a contract between you and the kids in front of you, not a contract between you and the school, that is a good way to think of teaching. But it's just a shame that so often as educators, we are like Coach Carter, put in a position where to do the right thing for kids, you have to fight the institution that is supposed to be serving them. You know, Ultimately, he is someone who very much should be in a high level of education, right? He's someone who would have a fantastic school if given the opportunity to have one because he has high aspirations and he and he sees the bigger picture of a school culture, which is, I think I struggle with stuff like that. I get focused on the details, whereas he's a big picture thinker, you know? Big picture thinker, but he's also someone who follows through. If he says something, he follows through. Mm -hmm. He said that he would monitor their attendance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you kind of think, is this a scare tactic? He is someone who is tenacious and actually sees through every single thing that he says he will. Yeah. I really like his teaching methods. Shall we talk about how he used examples of his sisters? Yeah, so I read an interview with him and he said they really were the names of his sisters. I had two opposing thoughts about this. One, I thought it was a great mnemonic, like a really useful way of remembering something like... The pressure defense play is called Diane after his sister because of what Diane's like. There's the trap defense, which is after Delilah because she was hot but evil. Yeah. <laughs> and then Linda is the pick and roll defense because she's smart, political, got an afro. So what he's doing is a really good memory device, which is getting them to associate an unrelated visual with a, a very complicated play, right? So it's like an encapsulation, which is yeah. really does work to mem remember stuff. I would say these are all female stereotypes. There's the evil hot girl. <laughs> There's the political one with an afro. There's the nagging sister. Is he not educating these men to see women in very stereotypical ways, Shane, through these plays? I hear that. There's something there, I think, in terms of getting them to personify a complex idea to remember it in an exam, I guess. I think it's actually a really good idea, I have to say. Much as I'm slightly in jest ribbing the fact that they are all definitely, you know, quite hoary female stereotypes. <laughs> Did you clock what he was trying to achieve by continuously asking them what their deepest fear was? I didn't notice that at all, actually. Go on. Throughout the film, he asks continuously, what's your deepest fear? What's your deepest fear? And then at the end, Cruz stands up and he recites a poem about deepest fear mm. and success oh but yes 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 you're leading to success yeah and every time that you fail in between is what people are scared of and i just i know you don't cry 
But I cried. <laughs> I cried because it was just such a beautiful moment. Very cheesy, very cliche. And if it happened, oh my God, I probably... If it, if I was a teacher in real life, when that happened, I would not be able to contain myself. It was just such a beautiful moment. And mm. everything that you wanted to take away from the film was just encapsulated in that one poetry reading. Yeah. Oh, my God. Are you crying again now thinking about it? Yeah. Oh, my God. I see a tear in Shane's eye. Um, no, it is a really nice moment. And it is. It's. I really do hope that his pupils, and I'm sure they were, were as inspired by him and his teaching and the example he provides as they are in the film. Because you do see when they finally lose, you know, that arrogance they had earlier is much more measured. And they have really learned the ultimate victory of, you know, success and failure. He says he planned to fail, didn't he? Like, that actually that's the final lesson he needs to teach them because it is important to know how to deal with failure. I think what's also really important about that and that is very palpable is that he makes it really explicit that he would only ever want to teach in that school, you know, that he's not just been stuck there or he's not, like, unhappy to be where he is, that this is exactly where he wants to be, that he really values them and wants to work with them alone. Yeah, um, I think it's beautiful, though. His son is in a private school mm. and his son loves being coached by his dad and he wants to be wherever his dad is teaching and when he says right i'm moving from here to go coach at richmond his son removes himself which i i found this bit a little bit hard to believe because surely you would need some kind of parental consent i also think it's quite beautiful that a child will want to be where their parent is teaching because quite often you see the flip narrative. Like that, yes, right? it is. It's very sweet. You know, he has that whole horrible experience with the board. So he gets ruled out, right? And it looks like he's going to have to quit. He comes in and he sees they're all in the gym, like studying, because actually they understand and support what he's doing. So they're going to do it anyway. Ultimately, the the board trying to get rid of him doesn't work because he's got the people who are important, which is the kids. He's got the buy-in. It really reminded me of Dangerous Minds. Do you remember we criticised Dangerous Minds quite a lot in our episode? You criticised Dangerous Minds. I agree, Minds. but I also, you understood the value of what I was of saying, course, right? Yeah. Um, what, what what you're saying here as well oh, so I think one of the things I think we talked about at the end of that this is where we had a class where you were like oh my god the end where they're so grateful about what she's done it's so beautiful and I was just like being much more cynical about it all because it Dear felt Dear listener if I've cried at a film I now know to expect that Shane Sean Shane oh, that's me um, I now know to expect that Sean hated the film <laughs> It's because I'm a cynic. I'm just a cynical person. That's just how I am. You know, we need cynics in this world. <laughs> I don't watch films very emotionally. I'm just not that. I'm not that wired that way. If you remember, we talked about the fact that that scene really turned me off because it felt like it was the film was like congratulating and hurrahing her and she was being celebrated as the best person ever. Whereas this scene where they have a similar sense of gratitude towards him just felt much more earned to me because he's really put himself and his job on the line for these kids and what he believes. Yeah, and at the, at the cost of also experience abuse outside of the school um having the yeah from their own parents you know? like yeah absolutely like imagine trying to just mind your own business and you see that one scene where the mother turns up to his workplace with her son to say to him he's going to apologize to you and he's going to do everything you tell him to do and you just need to give him a second chance imagine never being able to clock out of work i know as teachers we, we struggle with it as it is mm. but he literally had people finding him and telling him to sort his, his himself out mm -hmm. for the job. So he has really, really put himself out there. He he is celebrated in a way that I think truly deserves to be. Done. I agree. What what would you take away from watching this film? 
Was there anything that you saw him do? Don't give up on your principles. Yeah, I agree. I actually do think I watched it and thought, you know, I don't actually think, I think of myself as being quite a strong-minded person. I don't think I'd have got through this situation. I can't lie. I think if I had that level of resistance to what I was doing, I would really question myself on what I was doing. And I think it, I would get into my own head about it. So the fact that he really does have the courage of his convictions, it does kind of inspire me to be the same way and to really trust myself, I think. I think... Um when you've experienced quitting your job, you are more resilient to sticking to your principles. Mm. Once you've done it once, you've seen that it's going to be okay. You are more likely to to say, I'm standing by my, my principles here. I think the fear of the unknown of ever reaching that position or being sacked... That fear drives a lot of us to compromise. Yeah. And do you know what I think it is? It's not even that deep. I think sometimes it's just we want to be liked. You don't want people to like yeah. be spitting at you and shouting at you. And as much as I think I don't care about that stuff, I think if I was actually in that situation, I don't think I would be as strong-minded as he was. Or at least I would find it more difficult. Whereas he did, it seems to just breeze off him. He's not bothered at all because ultimately he's got his eyes on them and their development. And I do really admire that. I think I'm going to take that forward. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you are still quite early on in your career and the different scenarios that you have yet to face, maybe. Anyways, Coach Carter. <laughs> right, so, I mean, he is outstanding. You cannot deny the man is outstanding in terms of his high aspirations, his insistence on his own authority in drilling good learning habits. In uh, He's an outstanding teacher. 100%. So he's an outstanding teacher. 100%. What about the school? Uh, it's really hard to say, I guess, because we don't see any lessons. We ju The only time we see another teacher is when they are kind of against this other person or the head teacher as well, we see, who does listen to Coach Carter and, and does kind of support him, it seems, oh, no, at first, after a while. Yeah, because there, there is a quote that I wrote down Go on. Um, where she's challenging him and saying, you know, you need to you need to just coach them and get them to win games. And he says to her, um, your job is to educate these ki kids. I suggest you start doing your job. And he is brutal with her. Mm. Like, literally, forget about Ofsted. He is, you know, telling her as it is. And mm. to be honest, I applauded him at that point because she really does have really, really low expectations. Yeah. To which point, if I was an Ofsted inspector, I would question why is it only 50% of your students are graduating? Forget about going to college. Mm -hmm. Why is only 50% of your, your cohort graduating? What are you doing that isn't pushing your boys what are you doing for the other 50 percent and if her attitude is well we gave them opportunities to play sport and they excelled at the sport okay but how many of them will go on to play those sports professionally if they're not playing sport professionally they're out on the streets mm. if they're out on the streets they are adopting and going into this gang culture life mm. so actually by having those low expectations you're facilitating a society that we're trying to you know move away from and ultimately she doesn't expect them to become professional athletes because she says herself this will be the highlight of their lives exactly so she knows they're not so gonna... as an Ofsted inspector i would be asking her all of these questions her leadership and management would would definitely get nothing more than a requires improvement yeah i agree with you i think the low aspirations are really endemic i i agree i do agree i think we'd have to keep it a requires improvement yeah and if i saw coach carter teaching in an inspection i would want to know why he's not doing more with all of her other teachers and her other members of staff mm. yeah she should students. she should be putting him into leadership 100 percent. she should be recognizing the talent do you think this is one of the reasons why a lot of leadership teams have more p staff in what sense? 
So I, th- I guess you'll get a better taste of this as you move mm. through schools. But in my experience, a lot of members of leadership that I've worked with have tended to be males who come from the PE department. Do you think that's because sports teaches you competitiveness, perhaps? Perhaps, maybe. And I think also, generally speaking, I think teaching sports as a subject, you have kind of license to be a little bit more brusque, a bit, a little bit less professional, maybe. Yeah. Like in, a, not even that in a, in a rude way, I guess I just mean the expectations are different. You can shout at kids in a sports lesson and it's kind of part of the coaching. You can be a little bit mean in a way you couldn't in the lesson. Like the stakes are a little bit different. I, I think there's a certain level of assertive confidence. Assertive is the, is the right word I should use. Yeah, you, there's a level of assertiveness you need to have, but also that is expected, I guess. So maybe yeah, that's what it is. So it trains assertiveness and competitiveness. Exactly. And yeah. so therefore, whilst you're navigating your own career, mm. I guess it comes across better than a teacher who can't articulate themselves as as well because they're not used to being assertive. I think it's actually probably a good idea to have at least one sports teacher in a leadership team because I think sports teachers generally are going to probably see the kids very differently to classroom-based teachers. There are going to be a lot of kids that struggle with classroom-based learning that will thrive in sports. And so they're going to see a whole different angle on these kids as well as having a different teaching style. So I think it's probably important to have their... I think all leadership teams should have a diverse range of thinking. Yeah. And I think that I've known of leadership teams to try and keep a balance between men and women, try and keep a balance between the subject. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up there. Any other thoughts? So Richmond High School requires, requires improvement. improvement. Coach Carter, you're outstanding. outstanding. He's our first outstanding teacher for a while, actually. I yes. Think. Maybe and, this whole season. And it's a first school that's not been special measures. Yeah. Was Miss Honey outstanding? I'm sure we said she was Ms. outstanding. Miss Honey was outstanding. Yeah. Um, although we, we questioned some of her safeguarding. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The fact that she was willing to work in that horrendous school where kids have been abused every day and say nothing. Yeah. And turned up to parents' houses and uh, adopted oh, yeah. her children. <laughs> adopted oh, her yeah. students. Yeah. So. Oh, what about Mr. Schneebly? Again? <laughs> he broke every safeguarding rule. He had no qualifications, no DBS. Wow. Start teaching. Yeah, she, he's our first outstanding for a while. Okay, next time let's try and find an outstanding teacher again so we can actually learn something. Yeah. yeah. All right, see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to us today. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Film Class Pod and also on Instagram on the same handle. Also, you can send us an email at filmclasspod at gmail.com. Send us over any comments, any suggestions. Thank you so much as well to Kevin McLeod for our music, Night in Venice. You can find all of Kevin's work at incompetech.filmmusic.io and the license is at Creative Commons. See you next week. See ya.